Good morning again, church. Um, my watch kept beeping at me because my heart rate's like a billion and a half. I, I, I think it's because I had three cups of coffee and a Dr. Pepper this morning. I can see sounds and hear colors. It's great. Um, yeah, so we're good. This is going to be great. Uh, I am going to talk 100 miles an hour with gusts of 300, so I hope you can keep up. Uh, today, I just want to have a discussion. We started a sermon series called Aim Small, Miss Small, talking about the value of, of community, of small groups, of doing life together. And it's been an amazing conversation. We started out, Pastor Aaron and I, just having a conversation of the importance of what it looks like. And then we, Pastor Aaron continued the conversation the past couple of weeks of, of how hard it can be and how messy it can be, but how worth it it is. And last week he talked about accountability and the value of that and what that can do with our walk with Christ and how beautiful that is. And so uh, today I want to start, or I want to end the series kind of how we started it and, and just have a conversation uh, about how do we do this? Because um, it's a difficult question, and it's a difficult thing to answer. And so it begs the question for us, what does community look like in the church, and how do we do it? And so I, I did not lead the first service on, so I won't lead you on. I'll give you the answer right away. How does community look like? What does it look like in the church, and how do we do it? I have no idea. You're welcome. No? Okay, we're not good enough there. Okay, well, so, okay, let's, let's talk about it. And so, I, really what I want to do is, is there is a simple answer and yet complicated answer in, the, in kind of the same, the same breath. It, it reminds me of a story that I, I think I may have told before. I don't remember. I tell a lot of stories, as most of you know. Um, there was this, this man who decided he wanted to start his own company. He built this machine, fabricated it, created it, and it cranked out computer chips or something for computers, ended up doing really well, making a bunch of money, invented an even bigger machine, put it in a bigger factory, and then it ended up in this multi-million dollar factory of this machine he invented to do computer parts for planes or whatever it may be. Eventually sold the company, made a bunch of money, got to retire, uh, probably moved to Sheridan because that's what you do when you retire is you move to a beautiful place, right? Uh, and, and so he retired and these people took over this company and it was awesome and it was going great until the machine broke. And, and it would break all the time, sure, yeah, and they would fix it, but this time it broke, broke, like, like super broke. And they couldn't figure it out with all the engineers and the mechanics and all the smart people they had in there. They couldn't figure out how to fix this factory, this machine. And so they eventually is like, I, we have to call the guy who created the machine, who invented it. And so they called him and said, hey, can we fly you out here and you help us out because we can't figure out what's wrong with this machine. Uh, it, it's not working like it should. I don't know uh, how to continue to produce things. And, and the guy was like, yeah, sure. And so they flew him out, put him up at a fancy hotel. He got to the factory and he, and he stood up and he was walking around this multi-million square foot place. And, and then he, he thinks for a minute, a couple minutes, and, and then he reaches into his pocket, pulls out a piece of chalk and marks an X on the machine. And he goes, your problem is right there. And they're like, that's it? Like, you just walk around for a few minutes. We've been working on this for weeks and can't figure it out with the smartest people in the world. And he's like, yeah, it's right there. And so he takes off, and sure enough, they open the back of the, uh, that panel right behind where the chalk mark was. And sure enough, there was something broken back there. Whatever is broken in a machine, I have no idea. That does computer chips. Anyways, they fixed it. And the, and the, the machine worked better than, than brand new. Started cranking out product. Everything was great. Everything was happy. A couple of weeks later, they got an invoice for $75,001.92. And they were like, this is crazy. He was here for a couple minutes. This has to be a mistake. So they called him and said, is this invoice accurate? And he's like, yeah, it's accurate. And they're like, well, can you walk us down through exactly what 
this mint and, and, and what it's for? And he's like, sure, well, $1.92 was for the piece of chalk, and the $75,000 was knowing where to put the mark. I, I, I think this, this is exactly where we're at. Not that the church is broken. There's always holes in analogies. But I think in order for us to produce, in order to, to do exactly what God has called us to do, we have to place a mark somewhere and work on that thing. And that one thing that we have to work on is doing life together, doing community together. Ignite Wesleyan Church is booming. Like our numbers are growing and God is doing things in spite of us that is absolutely beautiful and it's awesome. But in order for our church, for this church, Ignite Wesleyan Church, to continue to get bigger, we have to go smaller. In order for us to continue to get bigger, we have to go smaller. And so that's where we're putting our mark. That's where we're putting our X. That's where we're using our $1.92, very expensive chalk, apparently, is right there on that mark. So, what does that mean? I think we have to start off in the same spot today that we did week one, and that's in Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 42. It says, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And so here the importance of what this states is obviously like, yeah, we have to keep teaching and, and growing and, and proclaiming the news of Jesus Christ, but it says where we're supposed to do this. In the temple courts, in big group fellowship, exactly what we're doing right here, right now. This is vital. This is important to our growth. We're to do this thing together, to worship together, to pray together, to hear God's word, to do this. This is awesome. This is the temple courts that it's talking about. Then it says, and... From house to house. And so the importance of that is, is that's, that is the small group. And scripture right there in front of us, it says we are supposed to jump in together and do small group fellowship. Large group worship, small group fellowship. And so here's the instruction as I attempt to answer the questions that I asked. How do we do it? What do we do? We do life together. Very complicated. Do life together. That's it. I, I promise you, if you take anything away from the sermon today, this is what I want you to take. Do life together together. It's that important, it's that simple, and yet complicated. And, and so I, I could end the sermon there. I think many of you probably would really enjoy that and say, Dustin, shut up, you're talking too fast. Uh, but I want to leave you with an encouragement, a couple of encouragements this morning. Uh, so there are five quick things that I want to run through um, as, as far as, as doing life together. How do we do this? Um, what does it look like? And what, what do we look forward to? And, and so the first thing is kind of threefold. The first thing is to be intentional available and consistent. And I know that's, that's a, a lot of words for one thing. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25 says, let us consider how we, we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, it says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. This, for me, is... is is kind of the bread and butter of, of meeting together. It's the intentionality of breaking bread, meeting together. It doesn't happen by accident. We can't just stumble into a life group and do life together with people. I'm sure it happens. More often than not, there has to be intentionality behind it. There has to be intentionality behind it. And in order to be intentional, you have to be available. You have to invite people over and make time to do these small groups, to make sure this is a priority in your life to do small groups. And the last thing is, um, is, is being consistent. One of, the, one of the things that I went through in college, um, some of you may not know, there, apparently there are Christian service fraternities out there. I didn't know that until I went to college, and I joined a, a Christian service fraternity, Kappa Upsilon Chi. Even has the Greek names and all that stuff. It's pretty cool. It was awesome. And, and this is where I met 
a group of guys and did small group for the first time in my life the, the way I felt like it should have been done in our moments of lives right there and what we were going through and, and what we were experiencing. It was perfect for us. And one of the things is we were sitting there together as a group of guys trying to figure out how do we do life together? How do we hold each other accountable? How do we be intentional and available and consistent? And, and one of the guys in the study who was the president at the time looked at us and said, well, you have to ask yourself two questions. The first question is, who is looking out for you? And the second question is, who are you looking out for? And if you have an answer to those questions, that's your small group. That's the beginning of your small group. And hopefully it's more than one person, not just your spouse. Uh, while that is there and that's a good answer, um, we're, we're thinking bigger than this. And so who is looking out for you and who are you looking out for? Um, and, and, I, and I figured out at that moment in that time, I couldn't answer either of those questions. And so I was missing something. And so uh, that spurred me on to be very intentional in finding who I can answer that question with, both questions with. Um, and so this, this definitely includes being consistent, meaning, meaning don't give up, don't quit. Um, there's a lot of uh, motivational posters about not quitting that are pretty funny, and I wrote like eight of them down, and I was going to say them all, but um, nobody laughed when I told them those, so I'm not going to use those. Um, I, and I think the reason, the reason I, and, and I think a lot of us struggle with consistency and staying with something that gets hard a lot of the time is because for me, I like to focus on the outcome rather than the process. I, I think, it, that's not to say that the outcome isn't important. The outcome is super important. That's what we're striving for, right? To grow deeper with Christ, grow deeper in our relationship with Christ. That outcome is beautiful and it's an awesome, amazing thing. Uh, but I, I think if we become fixated on the outcome, it can work against us. I, I think we miss things, no matter how compelling the outcome is. Um, so if you're looking at that and asking the question why, because any, any outcome that is compelling enough to excite you and propel you and, and, and to, to strive as hard as you possibly can to do something isn't achieved without, without hard work, a long period of time and working hard in that thing and not quitting. And so while focusing on outcome is good, it, it, it alleviates the, the process that we're supposed to be working through together. And a lot of the times, 90% of what we learn is through that process. The outcome is amazing, but that process is where we grow and can continue to grow deeper in our relationship with Christ. So be intentional, available, and consistent. Those are three encouragements. Those three things will help any small group, any community get started uh, when they're trying to grow deeper together in Christ. The second one is be hospitable. Uh, and now when we think, when we talk about hospitality, uh, Emma had did an amazing job on teaching about hospitality several times and did a class, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Yes, invite people to your home, make dinner, do things, do life together, um, but I, I want to take it even a step further in thinking outside the box when it comes to hospitality. And, and that means find opportunities, to in, uh, find opportunities to invite other people into your rhythm of life. This doesn't mean that, that your Bible study or your small group or your community has to be cookie cutter, where you go and I'm gonna open and I'm gonna read Genesis 1-1 together for 10 minutes and then pray for five and then uh, hug each other for five and sing Kumbaya for another five and then go home at the end of the day. That's not what we're saying. We're saying whatever rhythm you have in your life, whatever job you have, it may be different. You may have kids or not have kids. You may have kids that are out of the house. You may... Uh, have a group of guys that you go hunting with, whatever it is in your rhythm of life, invite people into that rhythm. That's the hospitality that we're talking about. 
if you're, I mean, a few examples that I wrote down is, is if you're running to the store and you're trying to do community with somebody, invite that person to go to the store with you. I hate grocery shopping, so I send Nancy alone. To keep me out of grocery shopping. My mom figured that out at a very young age because I would humiliate her in the grocery store, and so I hated it. Every time we would go to the grocery store and she'd make me, I'd grab the cart and run it into my leg. Be like, listen, lady, I don't even know you. Stop hitting me. And so she stopped inviting me, which is great. I mean, she'd be arrested for that now, but... It, Find that rhythm of life. Go to the store, invite somebody to go with you. If you're going to the, to the range, invite somebody to go with you. If you're baking an apple pie, invite somebody to bake it with you, then invite me over so I can eat it. Invite people into your rhythm of life. That's the hospitality we're talking about. One of the coolest things about love and doing hospitality is, is, is that's an action. In Romans chapter 12, a lot of times titles in, in paragraphs in, in the, the scriptures have a title. And the title in this one is Love is Action. In Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, prayful, excuse me, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. This is those moments where you go to the store, you bake the pie, you go to the range, you do those, and you intentionally, see what I did there? Intentionally have those conversations. Oh, well, how can I pray for you? What scripture are you reading? What are you learning right now? And those conversations naturally can go deeper, and your community all of a sudden starts. So practice hospitality be hospitable number three is is be teachable this is one uh that i i struggled with when we moved to haiti i thought man i'm gonna learn this language i'm gonna get it down and everybody's gonna love me it's gonna be great and then i realized the more of the language i learned the more of the culture i learned the less i knew and the more i needed to learn and I felt the same way when I come to Wyoming because it's a different culture than what I'm from. I'm like, okay, Wyoming, I love this place. I'm going to figure this place out. No, you're not. Because the second I figure things out, I have more to learn and more to learn and more to learn. And so be teachable. Be open to be teachable. It reminds me, there's a, a story of a mom who was cooking pancakes for her two sons, eight years old and five years old. And she started putting um, chocolate chips in the pancakes because who doesn't love chocolate chips in their pancakes? Duh. Uh, and so the kids started arguing, like, I want a pancake first, you don't get the first one. And the other kid was like, no, I get the pancake first because I'm younger and I'm prettier uh, than you are. And the older one was like, well, no, I'm older and I get the pancake. And they were just bickering. And so the mom was like, this is an opportunity for a lesson, a moral lesson I can teach my kids. This is perfect. And so she looks at the kids and she says, okay, across from you is your brother. Imagine if that was Jesus. And Jesus looked at you and said, you can have the first pancake. I can wait. So the sons sat there and thought about it and they were like, yeah. That's good. And so the older son looked at the younger son and said, let's do that. You be Jesus. <laughs> right? I'm sure he learned something, but I think a lot of times we, we, are, we are reluctant to, to say that we, we don't know everything. I'll be the first to tell you. I'll start this off. I don't know everything. As I stand up here, I, I, I have to be vulnerable and honest. I don't feel qualified to stand up here. I have, sure, I have a graduate degree in ministry. Sure, I, I do that. I don't feel qualified to do that. One of, the, one of the things I consistently hear about small groups and Bible studies is I'm not qualified to lead a Bible study. I'm not qualified to lead a group of people or to start this. I feel that. I say that. I still say that to this day. Be encouraged that that's not the case. It's okay to be teachable and lead at the same time. Matter of fact, it's encouraged. 
That's what we're supposed to do. Um, so, be teachable. Now, the last two I don't like, and I saved them for last because they're harder ones. Uh, and so, number four is be forgiving and not judgmental. So when we start these groups and, and start these small groups, be encouraged because what we do as Christians and what we do as Christ followers is we have an expectation uh, to live with what the scriptures say, what the scriptures tell us and how we live that way. And so when you, when you begin to enter deep and authentic relationships with each other, it, it, as other believers, you open yourself to being exposed to being hurt, right? Somebody eventually is gonna say something that's gonna hurt you or do something that's gonna hurt you. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Pastor Aaron did a great job about this. Oftentimes it'll happen. It will happen. If, if you've done any kind of event with me or, or life with me, give me five minutes. I'll say something stupid and hurt your feelings, but I promise you I will apologize. That's just who I am. Uh, it's foot mouth, that's Dustin. Foot mouth, foot mouth. Here's the encouragement in this, is when those times happen, not if, but when those times happen, be quick to offer forgiveness. Be quick to offer forgiveness. When we sit and allow hurt feelings and, uh, and things that have hurt us from people that we are close to, when we let those things fester inside of us, it eats away at our souls and eats away at our hearts and, and brings in a bitterness that is just not healthy and not scriptural. So when others hurt you, be quick to forgive and quick to seek reconciliation. Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Be forgiving as quick as you can. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean there's not a scar. I know that. It's not easy. None of this stuff that I'm asking us to do in these small groups and in these communities is easy. But trust me, it's worth it in order for us to grow deeper in the way that we're called to grow deeper in our relationship with Christ, we have to do these things. Number five, the last one that I hate the most, so I saved it for last, it's be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. I, uh, one of the things that I've run into the past couple of weeks uh, is, is really interesting because I, I've had a lot of conversations when we were talking about being hurt on week two of this series and how to walk through that and be forgiving and those things, uh, a lot of people are like, I don't know if I'm comfortable enough to, to be vulnerable. And I feel that. I get that. And this doesn't mean right off the bat you have to divulge your deepest, darkest secrets to your small group or your community that you're starting. It does not mean that. I, I've been in small groups for years and years and years, and there are still things that have happened in my past overseas in Iraq at war that I have not told a single soul other than the people who were there. There are things that I am not yet comfortable, even with the closest people in my life, my spouse, I haven't told certain things to. But here's what I can do and what I can say in those moments for people that are in my small group, like uh, the staff here, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Gretchen, the, the Stallions, like my closest people in my life, I can say, listen, I'm struggling with this, I'm burdened with this because of what I've seen or what I've done or what's been done to me and it hurts and it stinks. I don't want to tell you details, but this is what is eating me away right now. And in turn, those people who are looking out for me and that I'm looking out for will say, we got it, you're, you're in our prayers. We're walking alongside you, we're with you. They're carrying that burden with me. 
And that's what we're to do. Doesn't mean you have to tell them everything. Eventually, if God's calling you to do so, do so. But it doesn't mean you have to. Galatians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We're talking about being Christ-like in every way we possibly can and do what we're supposed to do and growing deeper with Christ. We have to carry each other's burdens. We can't know about each other's burdens by guessing. Are you having a problem with this? Are you having? I, we can't do that. You have to tell people, I am burdened with this. Will you carry it with me? And trust me when I say, when people carry your burdens with you and go to the Lord on your behalf, something changes in that relationship that is so vital and so beautiful and so pure that you can't help but grow deeper with Christ. So, that was really heavy. I love you guys. Um, last thing um, that I want to say. The, the task we have to, to gather, encounter, ignite, grow deeper, uh, we want to populate the kingdom. That's our goal. And, and so in Matthew chapter 28, we have the great commission of what we're supposed to do, and, and that's what we're supposed to do. Here in this group, in small groups, out in your community, your job, everything. And I wanted to read it uh, before we uh, closed out today. And it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what we're supposed to do. Reach others for Christ. Tell other people about your story of what God did, and that starts in small groups. As this gets bigger, we need to go smaller. So do life together. That's as simple as that. Do life together. So I'm going to call the worship team back up real quick. And, and one of the things that, we, that, I, that very handsome man talked about in the video a minute ago um, was campfire nights. Um, I am super, super, super excited about this. And this is just uh, the first set of classes that we're going to be having. Um, each year we're going to do like semesters, kind of. And we're, we're hoping to foster um, what we're talking about in this sermon series. A lot, of, a lot of people are already meeting. There's been small groups that's been going on for a long time, uh, life groups, Bible studies, all sorts of stuff. Keep going. Be consistent. Don't quit. Don't give up. That is super, super awesome. And if you're not yet in one, we hope that these classes can foster that for us. Again, there's, there's two things that we can do. We can grow deeper with Christ in these classes. At the same time, we can look to our left and to our right and to our front and to our back, see people around us that are potentially in the same space of life that we're in, going through the same things that we're going through, introduce yourself, invite them to do something. Be, be available and be intentional in what you're doing, and start a life group from there. In that, we can grow bigger. We can see more people enter the kingdom because of our relationships together and, and, and growing deeper in Christ. So there are four classes that we're going to be offering this time around, starting next week, April 12th. That's not one of them. Um... Financial Peace University, uh, Dave Ramsey, uh, has put together a course, a nine-week course, for what it looks like with your finances. Uh, I think statistically, the, the vast majority of people in the world, uh, married couples, fight over finances more than anything else. It's like 80% plus. And, and this is one of those things that, that shows you uh, how to make a budget, what to do with your money, how to get out of debt, how to invest, how to do all these things, all these baby steps to get to there. And it's led by a beautiful lady that I call my wife, Nancy Stevens. 
who's going to be leading that class. I'm obviously biased, but it's going to be an awesome class. So if that's something you're interested in, something you struggle with, get some more information about that. Uh, there is a QR code out there on the Connect Center where you can sign up and purchase your book there for that class. The second class is, is an equally, they're all awesome classes. It's a, it's a parenting class uh, in a series created by Andy Stanley and his wife. Andy Stanley is a, is a pastor, been a pastor for a number of years, and created some awesome curriculum, and that's going to be facilitated by a wonderful couple, John and Deb Baggett. It's going to be an amazing time to, to get together, watch a little video, and have some discussion about parenting. The third one uh, is, is we had an amazing uh, sermon series in December about the book of Revelation. It was awesome. Uh, weirdest Christmas series ever, but it was so good. Uh, and subsequent to that, we talked about the rapture in a class that was well attended and, and uh, very well received. And so we're going to continue that uh, through a Dr. David Jeremiah study called uh, the Book of Signs, I think it is. And it talks about the prophecy and revelation and what that is. And so it's just diving deeper into scripture. And that, that's going to be facilitated by Robin Horsey. Super excited about that class. And, and the last class is faith and mental health. This one hits home for me. This is something that I struggle with. Diagnosed with PTSD because of, of time in service, um, going through, walking through moral injury, things like that. This is a class that, that since COVID, our, our country has, has had a massive incline in mental health problems, anxiety, depression, all of those things. And so this is a conversation about what those things are, uh, what you can do with that, how you can help somebody, and what that looks like with scripture. And so all four of these things are out on the Connect Center. So come check those out. Come sign up for those classes. Be intentional and be available to do that. And, and check those things out because this is the start of something amazing that God is already doing here in the church. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for, for who you are and what you're doing. I'm watching people come to Christ recently and uh, over the past couple of years and the growth of the church is, is, is nothing to do with us. It's in spite of us. And God, you continue to move and do things that are um, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so God, we know that uh, in these moments as we continue to, to worship corporately that, that you're calling us to grow deeper in our relationship with you through discipleship and small groups and community and God, our prayer this morning is, is just for uh, you to show us, every single person in this church, a place where they can connect and have community and have people walk alongside them, carry their burdens and their joys and their pains and everything in between. So God, we hand those things over to you. We love you. We know the importance of this and, and how it can just change the face of, of not only this church, but this city and state and beyond. God, we're excited and, and holding on firmly in anticipation for um, what you're going to continue to do. God, be with those around the country as they do the same thing, as, as they find community intentionally and, and, deep, and grow deeper in their walk with you. God, be with those in Nashville, the families of, of the, the, the victims of the shooting at the Christian school, God, and, and just all the stuff that's happening around the world. There's so much heavy things. And God, in that, in the midst of that, and seeing all this stuff, we know that, that you win in the end and that we can't do anything without you, and that there is hope in you. God, help this country and this world see the hope that is you. God, we love you, and we ask all of these things in your precious and holy name.